Welcome to Ask a Pastor. We're going to be uh, answering some questions that you have sent in. If you have any questions, send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. Uh, today I'm joined with Jenna Bajuzic, who works uh, with students, uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers uh, here at our church, and we're going to be tackling some questions involving parenting. So the first question, Jenna, what does good Christian parenting look like in this era? What would be the best approach to media, question mark, dating? This is an easy question. You just Super easy. Give them just a tablet and watch Netflix in your basement. The end. No control, no supervision. It's fine. That's basically what I do. So <laughs> my kids are okay. <laughs> good Christian um, parenting. Good Christian parenting. That is a subjective question. Um, I don't know. I think the, the basic difference between a person who is a disciple of Jesus who is parenting and anybody else parenting is this biblical command that God gives us to disciple our kids, to teach them about who God is, to show them with how we live our lives what it looks like to give your life to your faith and to your God. Um, and so I'd say that would be probably this, the biggest difference, and that's one of the biggest things that I see parents struggling with, is how do I have these conversations with my kids? How do I Shouldn't I just give them to you? Because you've got a degree, right? You know more about the Bible than I do. But um, the essence of discipleship is not necessarily saying, here, I have all of this knowledge of the Bible. You may have it, child. Yeah. Um, but instead, it's, it's the mess of life on life, of really this more, it's closer, to, I think, to the idea of, of mentoring, of guiding them mm. through life and what it means to again, follow life, follow Jesus with your own life, yeah. and then teach them in the midst of that. Yeah. And it's not a process that really has a good beginning or end. It just kind of should hopefully keep going throughout and changes as your kids get older. But I'd say that's the biggest difference between parents who are wanting to raise their kid in the Christian faith and everybody else. Yeah. I, one of the things that I find is a real struggle um, in parenting is helping our kids grow up to, um, to not just understand Christian morals, but understand the gospel. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there's a great book that I uh, just happened to listen to uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think it's just called Parenting by Paul David Tripp. We used that book. We had a parenting class here in February okay. um, for a few weeks. Um, on Wednesday nights, and we actually walked through some of the principles of that book. So yeah. I really like it. Yeah. And one of the things that he gets to, and I, this is what I think is so challenging in parenting, is um, it's easy to correct behavior. Mm -hmm. Stop doing that. Don't do that. Here's your consequence for doing that. Um, and we know that that kind of parenting works in the short term. Like, I can get my kids' behavior to change by threatening them, by giving them rewards, etc. This is how I get through grocery shopping every week. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But that doesn't teach them the gospel. No. Um, and, uh, and that's what's really hard, I think. Yeah. Um, there's one illustration in that book that really stuck out to me. Um, and he said uh, that, imagine there's somebody standing in your kitchen with a bowl full of water um, and, and they're shaking it and the water's just like spilling out and going everywhere. And, and the question is, well, how do we stop this from happening? And our gut reaction is to say, stop shaking the bowl of water, right? Or to take um, the water away from them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he says there's another answer to it, and it's take the water out of the bowl. 
And, and his point is that when we think of our kids, we need to think of them as being full of evil. The evil that we see in their life, the, the like disobedience, is not, um, is not because of the circumstances in their life. It's within them. And so if we want to correct some of those behaviors, the answer isn't control the environment. Stop shaking the bowl, right? Because our lives are going to get shaken. But the answer is um, how do we deal with the sin that's inside of them? So mm-hmm. what's, what's your advice to parents on you know, how do you not just be a, um, a parent that teaches Christian morals, but how do you deal yeah. with, like, the evil that's within them? <sighs> I have a snippy joke I'm not going to say. Um, I think probably the, the best way that I've seen is to have these conversations about the why behind what you're asking your kid to do mm. um, and helping them to see what's actually going on because you're really trying to what I would like to do as a parent is to turn my kids into people that I'd like to hang out with once they're adults. Yeah. Um, and that like, keep them alive, turn them into decent, (laughs) turn the, help them become decent human beings and really give them the opportunity to experience grace. Mm. Because I know for me, I didn't understand grace and the gospel and the love of God until I had the chance to experience it. Hmm. And so I think you've got to give your kids the chance to see the brokenness in the world, see God as the answer to that brokenness and to experience the forgiveness and grace. And sometimes that looks really simple whenever your kids are little and sometimes it's big and hairy and complicated when they're older. Um, But it always has to be this continual ongoing conversation of what's going on, why are you doing this? help them to see and then teaching them how to read the Bible for themselves too, I think is huge. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I've uh, tried to do is uh, we, we obviously have to parent sort of in the moment and we have to deal with behavior in the moment. Because you don't know what's coming. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And you have those sort of grocery store moments where it's like, okay, we're probably not going to have a conversation about Jesus between the, you know, bread and the whatever, peanut butter. Um, and so that, that's always tricky is like, you have to parent in the moment, but I just find it so good to like, um, at least in our house, when we tuck our kids in the bed, like I'll go and and lay down next to each of my kids, um, and pray with them and to just take a moment and to like, think back on one of those parenting moments throughout the day, if there was one, and this doesn't happen every Mm -hmm. day. And to just sort of talk about that and talk about like, um, you know, I think the reason that you said that was because of this thing that's in your heart. And that thing's in my heart too. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we can sort of model like how they can talk to God about that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think coupled with like our kids have to see us seek their forgiveness and seek their grace. Yeah. And, and they have to hear us say, man, I was wrong. Um, I've talked to Jesus about that. I've asked him to forgive me. Will you forgive me? Um, I think that's some of the best ways that we can model that grace to kids. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's your experience in that? No, I'm perfect. (laughs) We don't have these kinds of issues that we're talking about. No, we, we do a lot of the same things of having those conversations afterwards. And it's hard and it's humbling to go to my Mm four-year-old and say, I am sinning right now because mm-hmm. I've got all this anger in my heart and I let it out at you and I should. And it's like, mm. and then they stare at you and they're just like, <laughs> and you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, you're not, you're not getting this, you know? And there's this voice inside your head that's like, 
is this is this working yeah. at all? But I think it, it's it's the long game. It's the continual pursuit in the same direction mm-hmm. of God and of having those continual conversations because one conversation about sin is not going to yeah. do much of anything probably, but yeah. it's the, you keep coming back to it and you keep using other situations to kind of illuminate what's going on and help them to see what's really happening. Yeah. Um, Jenna, you and I did youth ministry together for a long time. It's and, true. Um, <laughs> and a, a while back, there was an author named Christian Smith who um, uh, wrote, he did this big study, of course, about adolescents and their spirituality. And he coined this phrase, moralistic therapeutic deism, mm. which was like a hot thing in it youth was. ministry for a long time, <laughs> right? And, and the idea was that most kids are growing up in the church today not learning the gospel. Um, they're learning this moralistic therapeutic deism, meaning, because those are really big words, that they're learning yeah. morals, they're learning yeah. a lifestyle that's helpful to them, mm-hmm. and they're learning generally about a God. Instead of learning about the self-sacrifice of Jesus, um, that we're not good enough, that we'll never be good enough, but Jesus is good enough for us. Mm-hmm. And so the big question then is, how do we make sure, um, what are some other ways that we can make sure that we're not just teaching that moralistic therapeutic deism, but we are teaching the gospel and living that out? I think probably the biggest, the hardest conversation you have to have is with yourself is to say, is this what I am doing? Hmm. Am I just living a life that is making things generally better or am I really wrestling with my own sin? And I think that it's gotta start with your own acknowledgement of where you're at with Jesus. And I don't think you have to have your faith perfectly figured out in order to parent well um, whatsoever because we're all growing no matter where you're at. Um, and that growth, I think, is the perfect opportunity to demonstrate the gospel. Yes, for sure. When you can say, like, I used to think this way, but now I'm thinking, mm-hmm. like, watch, how, let them watch you change and grow. And again, yeah. it's humbling mm-hmm. and it's kind of scary because you're like, well, if they know that I'm broken, if I, they know I don't have this thing figured out, are they even going to listen to me anymore? Mm-hmm. But I think what I've seen is the opposite of whenever parents are really vulnerable to a point with their kids and sharing their own growth and their own struggles and their own coming to an understanding of how the gospel impacts their life. That's whenever kids lean in more yeah, because they feel like they can trust you a little bit more that you're not just perfect because they know they're not perfect. Yeah. They know that they screw up all the time. That's why they lie to us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're like, no, 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 I didn't do that whatsoever. Um, but so if they see you as this perfect, unapproachable thing, they aren't going to be able to come to you as like, hey, I've messed up. Can I? And they know that you're there with them to walk through it with them because you've let them walk through it with you. Yeah. Uh, this question also asks about uh, media and dating. So oh, social media and dating. Let, oh, let's so start <laughs> with media. What, what's the best approach? How do, how do parents deal with, uh, with media? Um, with an abundance of wisdom and caution. (laughs) I don't think it's something that you need to, I don't think it's, social media is not something that is like, this is going to tear my child apart for sure. I mean, it's, by the time, I mean, like, I, I am about the same age as some of our younger parents who have kids in middle school. And these kids, their entire life is online. (laughs) Their baby pictures are online. They're like, their entire life is online. And that is not a reality that we have ever had to cope with. Hmm. You know, by the time I first started getting into social media, I was in college. Right. Because it 
didn't really happen before then for me. And so I, I was engaging with these things as an adult brain. And what we need to realize is that our kids are, and our teenagers are engaging with these things with their brain as developed as it is, mm-hmm. wherever they're at. Um, so knowing that, knowing your kid, knowing where they're at mentally, emotionally, just mature wise. Um, I say delay it as long as possible (laughs) if you can. Um, I, there's just not a whole lot of good that comes from it. Now, once they start getting into middle school and all their other, all their friends have it, and that's where it's just, it's so hard for, oops, sorry, there's a microphone. Um, it's so hard for us to understand, but like that is where the connections, the friendship happens is mm-hmm. on social media. Yeah. So if you, like there's an invitation to a party and so-and-so is going and so-and-so is going and so-and-so is going, but you don't get invited because you're not on whatever social media app they happen to be using that day, then you're left out. Yeah. And there's this real fear because a student's life is social. Yep. They're trying to figure out their friendships. They're trying to figure out where they stand in the hierarchy of their community. Yep. Um, and that's just developmentally happening for everybody. You can't <laughs> not let that be a thing. Um, but I think you have to have conversations with your kid whenever they do start getting into social media of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Talk to them about the consequences of our actions and mm-hmm. how it's so much easier to for instance, say something online, type something online that you would never say to a person's face yeah, or things like that. Um, and then I think that good boundaries are always a good idea yeah. of where's your phone at night? When are you allowed to be on it? Um, students hate it whenever I say this, but I always think parents should have all of the passwords to any device that a kid has mm-hmm. um, because that's their job as a parent is to be there and help guide them. And again, it goes back to that aspect of it's a conversation. It's a, I'm going to teach you how to navigate this because you don't know how you wouldn't take a 10 year old that's never been on a river and throw them in a whitewater rafting Mm -hmm. boat and be like, you're good. Bye. Yeah. See at the other end. But that's how a lot of parents, I think, approach hmm. smartphones and social media. And they're like, oh, yeah, here you go. It's fine. I figured it out. Yeah. You will, too. Yep. Um, but they're kids yep. in still so many ways. And so you have to be in the boat with them as they're going down those things. Because it's whenever, again, whenever I was learning social media, it was a nice little calm river. Yeah. But now it's, it is like going wet-wider rafting. Yeah. It's, crazy and there's things that come at you that you weren't expecting um and I also think that parents really need to be aware of what apps are out there and all of the many ways that that parental supervision can be circumvented yep even by really nice kids that you know and you trust and you love and they're so sweet like it's easy to hide a lot of things online um so in our family my kids are uh, eight, seven, and six years old. So they're like finally at these ages where um, we can watch movies together and, uh, and it's not like stupid movies. They're like really interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've, I've struggled, you know, just going to this media topic. Um, my son, uh, is, he comes home from school and he wants to watch like the latest Avengers movie, mm-hmm. um, which is rated PG-13. 
And, uh, and, he, and he can handle most of that stuff without it negatively influencing him uh, somewhat, obviously. Uh, there's a wide range in yeah. what a PG-13 <laughs> movie is. Yeah. Um, but his sisters can't. And everybody at school is talking about these movies. He feels like he's left out. The big one for him um, is, uh, is Fortnite. Yes. Um, and he, has, uh, he, he uses one of our iPads when he goes to bed because his sisters go to bed like an hour earlier than him. So we allow him to stay up and play like Clash of Clans and some other stuff. Um, and we have restrictions on the iPad so he can't just like Google stuff. He can't ask Siri, you know, most, I don't think he can ask Siri anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but man, the Fortnite thing has been a real battle. Um, what advice, uh, real briefly, would you give to parents just in that sort of like, how do you decide when all of their peers are, are doing this thing and they want to do it, but your standard is no? That is so hard. It is so hard. And I'm, I don't want to underestimate and to be like, well, if your answer is no, then your answer is no the end. Yeah. Because I don't like when anyone tells me that. Hmm. You know, if I'm like, hey, let's go do this. And my husband's like, no. I'm like, well, you didn't even listen to why I wanted to go do well, what the, you know, and I'm like, I get all puffy <laughs> and puffy and I'm a grown adult that can handle my emotions for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, again, you've got kids, you've got teens who it's hard to tell a kid saying you're not mature enough to handle this. Mm-hmm that hurts. Yeah. It feels like my dad doesn't believe in me. My dad doesn't trust me. You know, my mom thinks that I am this crazy person that's going to go and fill in the blank, but I'm not. And I know I'm not, and she doesn't even know me. And it just, and they're already in that stage anyways, of questioning parental authority and questioning all the authority and questioning everything they've grown up with, Yeah, which is good psychologically developmentally but it's super hard when you have these conversations um but i think you have to help them understand why yep i mean think about whenever you're trying to get your kids to choose healthy food like okay here's a healthy and i think this goes along with the dating question too of healthy relationships and unhealthy relationships but like okay if i'm trying to teach my kids that carrots are better than fruit snacks Mm -hmm. or that real fruit are better than fruit snacks they're like they both say fruit this one's shaped like a strawberry that's a strawberry same thing right Mm -hmm. but you have to teach a kid what's going on with the food why do you do this you have to model the healthy food choices yourself and you but at the same time like there's gonna come a point where even if my kid doesn't understand that vegetables are a better choice than candy i'm gonna say like you're just not allowed to eat any more candy today. That's right. Yeah. You know, but there is this, you're also coming to this process. You have to teach them why and how to choose those things on their own because there will come a time very soon when they are making these decisions on their own. They are choosing whether what they want to participate in is a good thing for them, for their soul, for their emotional well-being. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> for their social well-being. Um, and so you have to teach them how you're making that decision. And at some point, you're the parent. Yeah. The end. Right. And that's just not gonna. That's just not how we live life in our family. Yeah. And that's the line. I'm like, well, because my kid comes home. He's only six, and he's like, well, so and so's allowed to watch it because his he has an older brother. And I'm like, well, that's how their family chooses to live, and that's not how our family chooses to live. Mm. And this is why. 
Yeah. He doesn't really like it when no, they do that. No, of course but not. But there's a lot of things that our kids don't like. My kids don't like taking baths all the time. Yeah. And I'm still saying, no, this is what you have to do. That's right. So Good. it's a balance. All right. Good conversation. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks. Um, the next question here that uh, we're going to look at, and this obviously is related to the last, how would you advise parents to deal with friends of their kids that are negative influences? That's so fun. That's such a fun conversation. <laughs> I think that if I was talking to a parent, I would ask them to remember two things. One, we don't remember as adults, what a big deal our friendships are mm -hmm. whenever we're kids and teens. We just don't remember because it's very different for us now. Yeah. Um, and you, it's so easy to say like, but I can see this clearly. How can you not see that this person is having a bad influence on you? Um, but they can't. And I know of parents and I know of kids who have come to me and said, well, my mom said that, you know, this person is bad, but like of all the options of people I have at my school to be friends with, cream of the crop, like this yeah. is as good as I can do. And if I don't, if I'm not friends with this person, I won't be friends with anybody. Yeah. And that is such a core part of a kid's and a student's life experiences, who their friends are, who they're hanging out with what group they're a part of at school. Um, and so I think parents, we need to remember that this isn't just a small thing. It's not just, well, you should pick the blue shirt instead of the green shirt. Mm -hmm. It's, this is really cutting to the core of their identity. Yeah. Who they're, for, who they're friends with is at the core of their experience as a person. Yeah. Um, and then also <sighs> taking the time to appreciate that friendships and relationships are different now than they were when we were at that same age. Mm -hmm. So even though I had really good friends when I was in middle school and high school, um, I, it's, it is different. Um, and there's this whole aspect of how our phones connect us in different ways, um, how quickly relationships change. It's a mess. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just, it is a big messy thing and we can't yep. just come in and say this is bad you're gonna stop right the end <laughs> um but again it goes back to that idea of teaching them how to ascertain what is healthy and what is unhealthy that's right and it's a process i think some of this also sort of depends on um the age of of the kids very much and, so you know for for the most part um we choose the, as parents, we basically choose the friends that our kids have um, mm -hmm. up until a certain age. Like it's not until they're in, you know, 12 years old, um, middle school that they're, um, you know, their brains are changing psychologically. So that mm -hmm. instead of changing, instead of picking their friends based on proximity, they're changing friends. They're choosing their friends based on affinity. What do I have in common with this yeah. person? So the first 12 years of their life, parents have the opportunity to really to determine who their kids are going to be friends with by deciding who they're going to spend time with, who they're going to put their kids around, what mm -hmm. teams their kids are going to be on, you know, whether or not they're going to be involved in a, in a youth ministry. Um, and that's why it's such a huge deal 
for parents to get their sixth graders involved in middle school ministry. Yeah! Um, <laughs> like, I cannot overemphasize how important that is because they make friends. They, they begin this, this comfortable circle of, of spiritual influencers. Um, and, and if the parent waits until they're in high school, and uh, that's, that's when it's a lot more difficult. Yeah. And so, you know, my Use answer... Use the influence you have while you can. Exactly. Um, use it while you can. Start early. Um, help your, your kids understand, you know, good friends, negative friends, and get them surrounded by a spiritual community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to go, obviously, uh, a long way. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jenna. Um, if Thanks. you have questions, please send them in. Ask a pastor at orchardhillchurch.com, and we'll look forward to answering those on a future podcast.